So you guys see this picture up there, it's throwing in the towel. Uh, usually it's, uh, it's equated with giving up, of being on the losing side saying, I'm not going to try this anymore because I see the writing on the wall. Uh, I'm, I'm done. You know, have you ever given up? Have you ever thrown in the towel? You know, think about people who are in relationships. That looks like a good time to like quit. But in a relationship, sometimes people, they throw in the towel. They say, I've had enough. We don't agree. We don't get along. And, and relationships are everywhere. You have husband and wife relationships. You have brother and sister relationships. You have parent and child relationships, co-worker relationships. And it's, uh, have you ever given up or thrown in the towel on a relationship? What about when you have a project? that you're trying to accomplish. This person looks like they've thrown in the towel and given up on every project that you have. You have sports, you have cleaning, you have art, you have whatever. Have you ever given up, thrown in the towel on a project because, you're, because you say, it's beyond me. I don't know anything about cars. I, I've tried it. I gotta take it to professional. I am not a plumber. I need a professional. I'm not a builder. I need a professional. I'm, I'm giving up. What about in basketball? Have you ever thrown in the towel playing basketball? You know, there's, they, they, you feel like it's, it's insurmountable. The other team's too good. We're not going to be able to come back from the score. I'm just going to kind of give up playing. You know, sometimes throwing in the towel makes sense. And I, I love it when it happens. It never it seems to be this way. But in basketball, you're down by 20 points. You got four seconds left. What does somebody decide to do? Foul somebody. <laughs> I'm like, throw in the towel. There's no way you're going to win. But some people fight until the very last minute. But sometimes it makes sense to throw in the towel. Sometimes, though, it doesn't make sense to throw in the towel. You know, uh, in, in a relationship, I, I'm going to pick on Savannah. How was she feeling when she was sitting in, in her in the van or whatever, having to go do this ministry thing? And she, she's like, my head hurts. It's hot. I'm uncomfortable. I really don't want to do this. And she says, I'm not going to throw in the towel because this relationship, these people are worth more than what I personally am feeling. And so I say kudos. Thank you for the example. But relationships, sometimes you're worth fighting for. And I've experienced this with my kids. I've experienced this with my wife. I've experienced this with my parents and with other people that it, I didn't throw in the towel because the relationship was worthwhile. Sometimes it's worth throwing it in. Sometimes it's not. Um, we're going to be looking at a situation today of Paul and Silas who are on a mission trip. And they it looks to me like they find themselves in a situation where it's easy to throw in the towel. It's easy to give up and say, I'm not trying this anymore because it's costing me too much. It's already got me in, in prison and I'm, I'm stopping. Uh, I know where this is going to lead. And it would make sense from a human perspective to say, I'm not even going there. But Paul and Silas say, you know what? I'm not throwing in the towel and this I'm going to be productive. I'm going to keep trying to serve the Lord even while in prison. Well, the title of today's message is being productive in prison. While they're in prison, they say, we're going to keep going with what got us here. But it didn't start in prison. They didn't wait until they got in prison and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? They were productive outside of prison. And this is where I think about you and I. None of us are in jail. You might feel like you're in jail, but only for 20 minutes, right? We're not in jail. There's nobody outside the door ready to put us in, in jail or, or persecute us. So we are free to some extent, to be doing things for the Lord. And so we're going to say, Paul and Silas, they were productive out of prison. Guess what you've got to be? You've got to choose to be productive out of prison. Yes, there's going to be a cost. 
And we're going to look at possibly what some of those costs were, but ultimately it's worth it. So Paul and Silas were productive outside of prison. Here's the situation of what they were doing that was so productive. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. It says, once when we're going to the place of prayer, which they were going to last week when they met a gal by the name of Lydia, they ended up leading her to the Lord and her, all her friends or her household. And they were baptized and they became, they got to go stay at her house. So they're going to the same place, doing the same thing. They're living life. This is, hey, this is what we're doing as a routine. It says, we met, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. That's just a situation. They're going Sabbath by Sabbath, day by day. They're going to this place of prayer, living life. And they're being productive. They didn't ask for this to happen. It just showed up. And Paul finally said, I've had enough. I'm going to cast this demon out of you, girl. Stop. Right? Just living everyday life. And that was just their action. Well, for every action, there is a reaction. There's going to be something positive or negative. Pretty much that comes up, uh, comes from everything that you decide to do. So Paul's action was to cast out this demon out of this girl. Well, the response to Paul's action... The response, well, first one was he was spitefully accused. I say that because uh, Paul has been doing the same thing day after day or Sabbath after Sabbath, going to the place of prayer and and nothing is happening until he decides to cast out this demon. So he's being spitefully accused. It says when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul as Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. At any point that they weren't happy, they could have done this. They could have taken them to the magistrates and took taking them to the law to try to get them stopped but they didn't care they say you're living your life i'm living my life and we're, we're doing separate things and it's okay you just don't bother me and i won't bother you but because paul got involved he's getting spitefully accused and it's just out of spite that they're trying to get them to stop and and really paul and silas were doing something that according to that day and age wasn't legal because they were promoting the name of Jesus. Well, this was a Roman colony. It was had governed by Roman laws, and there were Romans all around, and it was okay to worship your God in private. They, were, they could worship Jesus all they wanted in private, but they weren't supposed to tell other people or worship Jesus in public, which is exactly what they were doing. And so they could have caused problems for Paul and Silas had they already wanted to, but they didn't. And so because these people who have this girl that is prophet is uh, predicting the future they're roman well they take paul and silas straight to the roman people and because they're roman and roman they listen and they what happens next is that paul and silas are unjustly punished and we'll look at how why they were unjustly punished or or what makes them unjustly punished but first of all what was it that they went through they were beaten with rods let me read verses 22 through 24 
It says that the crowds joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And they had, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and a jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So first of all, they're getting hit with big sticks. Ouch. You know, that would be enough to of a punishment, you would think. You know, you're you're not a criminal. You didn't kill people, uh, but they, they're trying to they're mad. They don't like what they're doing. So they get hit with sticks uh, with these big rods. And then it gets worse. They get severely flogged. That hurts. You know, Paul was beaten with rods three times. Uh, in Second Corinthians eleven twenty-five, it states that. It says that he was flogged multiple times. Well, the Jews had a, a, a law. You could only flog somebody 39 times. I think what I remember is because if you accidentally got, if you miscount, they didn't want it to be over 40. So they just gave you one less for good measure. Uh, so you get flogged 39 times. Well, the Romans, they didn't have a law like that. You just probably whack somebody as long as you feel like whacking them. And so Paul, it says they were severely flogged, was probably more than 39 times. And then it says they were thrown into jail. Jail is bad enough, but this wasn't just jail. This is like the worst part of the jail. Like, picture you have out, outer cell doors, and you might get some light from the windows, and you might get some fresh air. But then you have Paul and Bart, or Paul and Silas getting put into the deepest, darkest cell, like the middle of it. And there you get no fresh air. You get no sunlight. All you get is the stench from your body. The sweat, the blood, the pain, everything that you get, that's all you get to breathe until somebody finally opens the door. There's no sunlight. It's just completely dark. And that's where they're at. And that's bad enough. If they can walk around the room and say, hey, I, I can kind of feel there's nothing really going on. I'm going to start scratching my wall to say how many times I've, how many days I've been in jail. That's bad enough. But they said, no, we're going to make it worse. Like these are the worst two people ever. We're going to stick them in stocks. You know, the pictures with them and they're just either sitting there with wooden things over their hands, their legs and their arms and your head stuck in something. Or as one uh, commentary I looked at said, they were probably flat on their back. And so you're just laying there flat on your back and you're, you got something around your neck and around your arms and around your feet. And this is where they're at. They're stuck in jail in about the worst position in the worst possible way. They are in prison. All because why? They got involved. They tried to do what it was that God asked them to do. They were free out in public and they were trying to be productive. We're, we're having a prayer meeting. Oh, along the way, we're going to interact with this girl who's demon possessed. And this is what happens. They were productive in prison or they are productive outside of prison. And ultimately, they find themselves in prison. Now, right now, like I've already said, none of you are in jail. Um, we're, we're cruising right along here. We're going to be out of here pretty soon. Okay? None of us are in jail. None of us are in prison. And we have freedom. We have the opportunity to go any which way we want to go. I can get in my car. I can drive to Miles City. I can go to the park and start preaching if I want to. Nothing's going to happen. I mean, except for people might say, okay, there's Pastor Josh. Don't go to his church. You know, that's weird. But who knows? Nothing's really going to happen. But for, um, and so you are free. And I want to encourage you, take advantage of that. Because someday you may not be free. You may not be able to go on a mission trip. You may not be able to come to church here without fear, like other countries. So take advantage of your freedom. But your actions are going to have a reaction. 
uh, you're, you're trying to be productive for the Lord now, there's going to be some consequences. Now, just everyday normal life actions. You think about something as simple as befriending somebody at school that is kind of the odd duck out or somebody who doesn't fit in. You're just going to go be their friend. You know, or there's somebody else in town that they just moved here that people don't really like. You go and try to hang out with them and you try to connect with them. That's just an everyday life situation. Nothing special about it. You're just being human and you're trying to, to reach out to people. It can get a little tougher. Actions such as I'm going to stand up for the unborn. The, 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 uh, the school says or the, the politics say or the family conversation says it's OK to, to have the abortion. You say, I'm not I don't stand for that. Or with the teaching at school that's contrary to scripture. Think about the homosexual lifestyle. It's getting brought up and everybody's like, hey, it's just rainbows and everybody should be able to do whatever you want. Everybody was born that way and it's all OK. And you say, I don't agree with that. And here's why. Just an everyday life situation or even going and talking to somebody and sharing Jesus with them. You get involved in that conversation. You get past the headache and you go and you share Jesus with them. That's that's your action. But there is going to be a reaction and at some point, it is not going to be good. Because you uh, did these things, you know, even something as simple as befriending somebody, you might be the person who ends up in jail, right? There's no connection with being a friend to somebody and ending up in jail. But if you take off the right person, you can get wrongfully accused and you can get, uh, you can find yourself behind those prison bars with a bunch of people who deserve to be there when you don't. You can find yourself being an outcast at school or being an outcast be between your family and your friends and, and the, the work the workers that you have. You can find yourself in a negative situation because you were trying to be productive for the Lord outside of prison. And that's what happened with Paul and Silas. Now, they, they were not supposed to be facing these, these consequences because they were Roman citizens. Uh, let me read verse six, thir 16, verse 36. It says, the jailer, after this all happened, the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. We just beat you senseless. We just stuck you in jail uh, when you really shouldn't have been there. Now just go in peace. Just get out of here. And then Paul says in verse 37, uh, they beat us publicly without uh, trial. Even though we are Roman citizens and they threw us into prison and now they, they want us to, to get rid of us quietly. He's like, wait a second. We are the same as you guys. We didn't we didn't like shout this out. Hey, we're Roman citizens. But we, we you guys should not have done this. It says uh, it was a transgression of the law to bind up a Roman citizen. You weren't supposed to. It was wickedness to scourge him. You weren't supposed to beat him, and especially all without a trial. And then once they found out about that. They could get in big trouble. If Paul makes this big stink and tells everybody, I was unjustly punished, these guys could be in big trouble. And so they're quietly trying to shove Paul and Silas away. Like, okay, well, sorry, we got you out of here. Uh, but they should not have been put in that kind of situation. So they were productive outside of prison. Life is good. We're going to go pray. We're going to interact with people in life. And then they find themselves in prison. Great opportunity to shut up. Right, to say nothing, to do absolutely nothing. I don't want to talk to the Lord. I don't want to think about other people. I don't want to get involved in anything if that's where it costs me. I'm in jail. I went out of here. But what did they start to do? They're, they decided we're going to keep doing something while we're in prison. It may not be much, but we're going to do what we can. 
So this is what they started doing. This is in verse 25 to 26. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They started praying and singing. Now, they weren't just praying, God, get me out of here. Right? That would be easy. That would be the normal thing to do. But I bet they're praying for each other. They're praying for themselves because they are in a lot of pain. They're praying for Timothy and uh, the others who didn't make it into jail and who are concerned about them. And possibly they're praying for their captors. But they're praying to God. And they're singing hymns. Right? Not jailhouse rock. You know, they're singing you know, something that's giving them comfort that, yes, God is still good in spite of what I'm going through. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I don't know what they're seeing, but it's not the typical response. And what happens? The prison doors are open. Now, we can read the story and say it backwards and forwards and, and have all sorts of fun with this, but they have no idea this is coming. They don't know what's going to happen at midnight while they're praying and singing. They don't know the doors are going to open and they're going to all get the get out of jail free card and be able to go. They don't know that. But they say, we're going to do what we can anyway. And this is just what God decides to do. And because of all this, they have the opportunity to save the prison guard. Now, they, they, this happens two different ways. The first way is that they save his physical life. Verse 27 and 28, it says the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. That would, in that culture, it made a lot of sense. If, if your prisoner got away, you are going to take their punishment. And this, this prison guard says, I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm not going to be shamed. I'm not going to be tortured. I am not going to be put to death at your hands. I'm going to take the easy way out and just kill myself. And that would be a very tempting thing to do if you know you're going to die anyway at the hands of people who may not like just nicely chop off your head. I think I would be like, I'm, I'm dying, killing myself any which way I can. And, and then Paul says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Nobody has left. So Paul's saving this guy's physical life. He could have said, I'm not getting involved again. Right. What happened when I got involved last time? I found myself in a prison jail. This guy was part of he could have possibly been part of the people beating me. He could be the, he could be teasing me while I'm in jail. Who knows? But he's he's getting lumped in with all these people. He's not a good guy. I'm just going to just keep my mouth shut and let it be what it's going to be. But he gets involved. He saves his physical life, which is nice. Right. It's good for him to keep breathing and keep enjoying his his life but that's not all he was called to do that's not all that we are called to do as christians it's to just help people in their physical life paul was more interested in the, the spiritual life and because paul got involved again he was productive while he was in prison he had a chance to save or be a part of saving his spiritual life verse 29 and on it says the jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before paul and silas he brought them out and asked the sir what must i do to be saved because paul lived out his faith because he was uh in prison singing and praising god because he's willing to get involved in spite of what already happened to him he had the opportunity to share faith with this guy and he he put his faith in jesus and Paul tells them, Acts 16, 31, a very famous Awana verse, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe means to trust. It means to hope, put your confidence in the Lord Jesus. He says, look, guy, you need Jesus. Here's how you get saved. It's this simple. It wasn't believe and it was believe 
on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He didn't say, get your life all together first. He didn't say, well, you, you repay me for my pain I just experienced. You go to church for 20 years. You do a bunch of good things. It was just that simple. Believe, trust, hope, put your confidence in Jesus and not yourself for salvation. And he needed to know that because of the bad news. You know, Romans 3.23 says that all has sinned. We are all falling to the same category of a liar, of a thief, of a murderer because we've hated somebody in our heart, because we've done something. We all fit into this category of being a sinner. This guy fit into the category, Paul did, and so do I. Bad news. And it doesn't that sound so bad if we've all sinned. We all can say, yeah, I did something wrong. Steve did something wrong. So what? We all are all equal. Well, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what you earn because you said you deserve to die. And that's eternal separation in hell from God forever. That's what you deserve. May not like it. That's how it is. This guy had to understand that. Um, but now we get to the good news. The good news is that God showed his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait until I got my life perfect. He died for me over 2,000 years ago, knowing that it was going to take till I was 11 before I was finally convinced that I was saved. Instead of praying the prayer 20 million times as a kid, he knew what it was going to take. He knew what I was going to do in life, how I've sinned since that point. But yet he died for me anyway. That's awesome news. He died to take my punishment so that I could have eternal life. And then he tells the guy, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's that simple. You're a sinner. You deserve hell. Uh, but God loves you. And all you have to do is believe. And this isn't just intellectual belief like, yay, I believe uh, Abraham Lincoln was his 16th president. I believe that. I mean, I can't prove it. I mean, it's what I've been told. It's not just knowing it. It's, it's a life-changing belief. I'm repenting of my sins. I'm turning to Jesus. I'm trying to live for him. I'm saying no to the things of, the, of this world and saying, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's a life-changing belief. And that's what this guy had. He had a life-changing belief. He, he got baptized. His family got baptized. And they physically took care of Paul and Silas. It was a life-changing belief that they had. That's what we need to have in order to have salvation. Now, what's your response going to be if you find yourself in some of these situations that we discussed? Now, if you find yourself wrongfully accused and put in prison, because that happens. Not everybody who goes to prison is guilty. Sometimes people get set up because they wouldn't be a part of X, Y, and Z. If you find yourself in prison uh, un, uh, accused of something that you did not do, how many of you are going to feel like uh, praying? You know, I, I've never gone to prison. All I, all I can do is imagine how tough that would be. The closest I've come to prison is, is going to a kid jail. In Spokane, I was a chaplain, and that's that's a little bit intimidating. You, you got you got you got to get past the metal detector. You have guards with guns. You have kids in prison uniforms. It's a jail, right? That's the closest I've come, and and I'm an adult, and I did nothing wrong, and I don't I get to walk out the door after an hour. But if you're stuck there with a bunch of big muscles, big tattoos, with you know people who you know killed people. Are you going to feel like praying anything besides get me out of here? I'm not. That's all I'm going to be thinking. God, get me out of here. What does it take? Parole. Let the truth be found out. Are you going to feel like singing hymns or praise songs while you're in jail with these people? 
No, you're not. It's not normal. Are you going to, are you going to feel like telling those people about Jesus? Probably not. It's easy to have the self-pity. This is not fair. This is unjust. I shouldn't be here. Attitude. That's a normal thing. What about if you lose your contract? You lose a job position because you took a stand for something that God wanted you to take a stand for. Would that be, would it be easy then to, to start praying for, for anything? I mean, if you know you didn't get it because of Jesus, do you feel like excited to go talk to Jesus? You might. I mean, some people can get excited because I'm being persecuted and counted all joy when you're being persecuted for your faith. But not everybody feels that way. It's easy to be like, God, give me justice. Make this right. Paul and Silas could have, could have done that. It's easy to go that route. It's hard to be praying for, for those people who didn't give you that contract. Do you feel like singing songs? You know, we, we're, we were discussed briefly in Sunday school about... Uh, the way that the world is, you know, we think about America and we think about how we don't have rain around here and how we want rain. And what, how, do, how do we get rain? Is there some possible reason, such as with Israel, because they sinned and they didn't follow God, they faced this consequence and this consequence and this consequence? And I bet in part of the Israelites, people were following what God wanted to do. But they were all getting in a lump sum. You're getting punished because as a whole, this is what's going on. And in America, we could be experiencing some kind of punishment because we as a whole are not turning to the Lord. And it's tough to be like, God, I know you can give me that job. I know you can give me that rain. I know you can make this right. And he doesn't. Does that make you want to go out and praise him? It's real easy to say, well, you didn't help me. You're not helping me. But that's what Paul and Silas were doing. They were praising God who could easily bust open the prison doors could make it unpainless when they get hit with those whips. He could have protected them and he didn't the same as much as they wanted. They're in prison and they're praising God. What about when you take a stand for something and your family or your friends reject you? You know, you, you think about school boards uh, when decisions are made. You think about difference in politics. You think about um, just a difference of opinion and how families are divided. And how people are divided. You had the slaves, the north and the south. You know, people are divided. You're divided over the school superintendent, you know, and, and just a lot of things like that. It's easy for uh, people to get divided. And if you're getting divided because of a stand you took, are you feeling excited? Like, I want to go pray for those people? No, I am right. They are wrong. Right? That's kind of how we feel. So I want to think, what did Paul and Silas do? How were they able to do this? They were... Uh, they were trying to do the Lord's work. They got they got unjustly accused. They got unjustly punished, and they get they get beat with sticks, and they get whipped, and they get put in jail, and in the worst possible every which way. How is it that they're singing and praising God during that time? Why aren't they sitting there in self pity? Why aren't they cursing God and dying? What is going on? Why are they so different? Can somebody tell me why? Why were they able to do that? Well, Paul and Silas were able to take their focus off of themselves and, and go to God. They were able to, and that wasn't something they were able to do on their own. They had to have that relationship with God. They had to be willing to look past what they were going to and take it to God. And that is not easy to do. You know, I, I, I said in Sunday school how much I appreciate Moses and how he was finally complaining near the end of, I think it was, or midpoint in November, uh, November, I keep saying that, of numbers. And I said, I can complain at the drop of a hat. 
You know, and it's so easy to complain about God or at God about my situation, but I'm keeping my eyes off on me. What do I want? How come God's not helping me? Instead of saying, God's got a lot bigger picture that he's doing uh, that's going on. And so when you are trying to serve God and things go sideways, when, when things go sideways and you find yourself in a literal prison cell, when you find yourselves rejected by your family and your friends, the people who were on your side, when you find yourself on the raw end of a deal, of not getting the contract, of not getting the job, and you know it's because of Jesus, okay, you got to somehow give that over to God and just keep giving it to him and keep giving it to him and don't allow yourself to stay in that state of self-pity. It's easy to stay there, but that is not what God wants us to do. He wants us to trust him to keep take our eyes off ourselves and just keep getting our focus on him. You know, I, oftentimes I get beat up through messages. I don't know who the last person I was talking to about this. Um, for some reason I'm thinking Todd, but I don't think it was Todd. But I get I get beat up because in my in, when life goes awry, when I don't like life, I'm not the first guy to pray anything except for make my situation right. I'm not like my wife who will turn on the radio and listen to praise songs and try to sing those things. I, I get down, I get frustrated, and I, I that typically is what I want to do. And so this is like whack, whack on me. So maybe you guys all do this, but this is whack on me that I've got to make sure that when that situation comes, I get my focus off of me and I get my focus on Jesus. Hopefully God doesn't give me an opportunity this week to try again. <laughs> but if you find yourself in that situation, get your focus off of yourself, be like Paul says to put your focus on Jesus. God might have something bigger he wants to accomplish through you in your situation, such as leading the flipping jailer to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I, I'm so grateful for your forgiveness, for the millions of chances that you've given me to get it right. Uh, and I'm, I just, I'm thankful for that. God, I know I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve heaven. I deserve hell um, because I'm, I've screwed up my life so many times. But God, you keep forgiving me. You keep loving me. You don't give up on me. And I'm so grateful. I thank you for Paul and Silas and their example of, of trying to be productive when it was okay. And even when it was not okay, when they were in prison, God, they didn't give up on you. They didn't throw in the towel on you, God. They said, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep trying because God, you are worth it. And let us be the kind of people who are willing to hang on to that towel and to keep trying. Help us, God, help me to keep my focus off my circumstances and to put my eyes on you and to trust you as you lead me forward to accomplish what you want. I need an attitude change, God, and I need your help for that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.